Let's give it up for the band, can we? Great job. Feels like we've already had church. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've seen people healed already. We, I don't know how many people got baptized. That was amazing. Uh, don't you love when just like when children are like, I just love Jesus and I want to just follow him. And I'm like, dude, I didn't even know that till I was 25 years old. <laughs> A little kid. That's just amazing. Anyway, I, I know you've been asked several times, but I, I didn't get to see. How many of you are leftovers? <laughs> You're leftovers from the advance. How many of you are leftovers from the advance? Bill, you're left over from everything. Well, it's so good to be with you. And, and uh, we had such a great time at the advance, didn't we? The last night that Sean uh, was doing that prophetic um, words of knowledge and prophecy, I, I was just really... I, actually, I thought the whole advance was amazing, to be honest. But the last night, I thought was... If you, if you didn't get a chance, some of you are like, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. I think they're streaming it. The last, the Friday night service, and he had great words for Bethel, and had great words for a whole bunch of people. But just the way he went about, Sean Bolts came up and did a bunch of prophetic stuff. So if you weren't there, that's what happened. And I've been in lots of those meetings for 30 years, but I think that was maybe one of the most encouraging meetings I've ever ever been in my life. Prophetic meetings, just the way that he went about it, the level of his humility was awesome and. I think it's awesome when somebody operates at a, at a level that, you know, he was calling out people's names, where they were from, what their children's names were. And I mean, it was profound, you know. And I, I've seen that before in different, at different times with people, but I've never seen anybody operate at that level of humility when they get done. Instead of feeling like you could never do it, you feel like, I bet I could do that. There, just, there was something in the room. It was the way that he was sharing. It was the way he was going, I hope this... He would say, I hope this one's right. I'm really nervous right now. I'm like, dude, you got 15 of them right already. I don't know what you're nervous about. <laughs> if I got three of them right, I'd be confident. <laughs> so it was, it was really, really amazing. Well, let's just... I know we prayed a lot already, but if you just grab a hand, we'll just pray for a moment. I, I, it might just be my my custom or my tradition, but I, I always feel like I need prayer. <laughs> Even when I'm being silly, I think it works. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name for tonight that you would, that you would open up areas in our lives maybe where, we haven't, where we've been blind or where we haven't been able to see or, or maybe just areas that you, would, that you would awaken. You would awaken areas in us, God, and and that you, would, um, that you would call us into a new standard of, of living in life, in Jesus' name. You know, um, it's interesting today, Bill, if you weren't here this morning, Bill's message, he's been doing a series on Solomon, and on, actually on wisdom, and also out of the book of Proverbs. So mostly a lot about Solomon. And uh, I've just really been enjoying it, I've been taking lots of notes. And um, this morning he was talking about, well, one of the things he talked about at least was how uh, Solomon failed and how he went after foreign wives and how, the la- how he stopped going after the presence of God and that caused him to go after foreign wives. And, but uh, during worship this morning, I was, I, I'd been thinking a lot about 
Reformation, revival, the transformation of cities. I think we, I think every speaker in the in the leaders' advance touched on that, or, or that was the main part of the, of everybody's message. And it's been probably a main theme around here for I don't know at least a couple years. Um, and I, I've been thinking a lot about about that. And and uh, this morning I was thinking about why moves of God stop when we were when we were worshiping. I was just thinking about you know what is it. You know, one of the one of the things that um, that I'm aware of is that what what's happening in our in uh, in in not jo- not just in Bethel, but what's happening right now across the globe is so much bigger than a person's personality. <laughs> and and the challenging thing is, and I was, I was sharing this with Danny probably three months ago. Danny Silk, we were just talking out out in the parking lot after a service, really. And the challenging thing is is that. If you didn't make it happen, that, like, if you're doing something and you're like, okay, we're doing this, and that's why this is happening. And if you can attribute what you're, what's happening to what you're doing, then it feels like as long as you just keep doing it, it'll just keep happening. But when what you're doing doesn't equal what's happening, like it's more than you ask or think, when, when nobody, like when you add up what everybody's doing and you go, that's awesome, but it doesn't equal that. The, there's the fear, I think there's a healthy fear that comes into your life that goes, okay, I can't actually, we didn't actually make that happen. Like we did some good stuff and we can say, oh, we did, you know, I mean, if we were going to be honest, we, we can say we did that and that and that and that. And those were good things. But all those together, they equal, you know, mathematically, they equal 20 and what we have is equals a thousand. So I don't know how that happened. And so people are like, how did this, how, 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 when, when did God start moving among you? And how did all these things happen? Like, I actually don't know. Like, I actually don't know. Like, well, like when we started the school, I mean, Bill may have had a bigger vision. My, mine, was, I, mine was for 300 someday. Like, someday we're going to have 300 students. The fourth year, we hit 320, and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> and they just keep coming, and then they're, they're starting schools all over the world, and, and it's like, you know, people are like doing signs and wonders and miracles, and then the students are, they're doing greater works than we are. I'm not saying greater works than Jesus yet, but definitely greater than me. I'm not saying that's, you know, like the high watermark or anything to attain to. <laughs> Let me be clear, I'm not at all saying like, well, that's something to attain to. Someone ought to write that down. I'm just saying when the people that you're teaching are doing it better than you are, you know, that's pretty amazing. And so, uh, and, and I, I think that, that you know, my, my secret, um, I, I guess I'll just be honest, my secret fear is, is that, that it would end because I have no idea why it's happening. Like, we're honoring the Lord. Places all over the world are honoring the Lord. We're praying. Places all over the world are praying. So, you know, when I add up everything we're doing, I'm like, that's what they're doing. And, and God's just breaking out everywhere. And it's like, it's so amazing. And we see the, you know, the, the I don't know what we call that cloud thing that keeps happening. I have, we haven't seen it for a little bit, but it's like, how did that happen? How does that happen? How does, see? How does that happen? Those guys are probably messing with me back there. How does that stuff happen? 
And um, anyway, I, I don't know if I'm just kind of wandering, but I, you know, and we've been, we've, you know, we've watched uh, revivals come and revivals go, and you know, we've seen, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you know, go to a particular place for a season, and then it, then it lifts. And I'm like, wow, you know, why, why does it end? Why does it end? Because, because I don't want this to end. I want it to grow. And it keeps growing. And, um, and so, I, you know, I just, I've been thinking a lot about that. And Bill talked today, and, and I, was, I was making some notes. And, in fact, I wrote this down this morning during worship. Why do movements go bad? And I started thinking about some of the, the great kings in the Old Testament. And, obviously, Bill was pe- speaking on Solomon this morning. I was thinking about Saul, King Saul, and how it says in First, in first uh, Samuel 15, how Saul disobeyed the Lord. And when the Samuel the prophet came to him, and you know, remember he was supposed to you know, go out in battle and not keep anything for himself. And the prophet comes to him and says, well, you've disobeyed the Lord. He said, no, I didn't disobey the Lord. He goes, yeah, you disobeyed the Lord. What are all these sheep and what's this king doing? And, and this is his statement he made. He said, I feared the people. I feared the people and therefore I didn't obey the Lord. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, wow, you know, this is a, this is a guy who, this is, this is Israel's very first king. And when they go to anoint this guy king, remember, he didn't want to be king. He didn't even know he's supposed to be king. And he's super humble, and, and he ends up with, the, 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 with the, the prophets. Do you remember that? He ends up with the prophets. Samuel says to him, listen, okay, you're anointed king but you need to go be changed into another man. So you go hang out with the prophets, and when you encounter the prophets, you're going to be changed into another man. And he goes and hangs out with the prophets, and he's changed into another man. And, um, and I don't know how many days later, but uh, uh, some days later, they, they, they come to commission him to be, to be king in front of the people. They've already commissioned him privately, and now he's going to get a public commissioning. How many know it takes a private and a public commissioning in your life? And when they go to publicly commission him, he's hiding in the baggage, in the luggage. This is, the, this is their king. I mean, he's just like, he's totally humble. He's just, what I'm trying to say is he has a, he has a good beginning. But he, because he feared the people, he disobeyed the Lord. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm glad I don't have any of that in me. I don't care what you think, I really don't. As long as it's positive. <laughs> I don't care if you talk behind my back, as long as it's good. <laughs> and people say, I hate when people talk behind my back. No, you don't. You love it as long as it's not negative. It's called a reputation. And then, you know, so, and then, and then Saul, um, so he has, he has these issues with the fear, with the fear of man and, he ends up with David serving him. You know, First Kings 15, David comes down and he's playing his harp as a, as a young man, you know, helping to keep away this demonic thing that's on him now because of fear. He's so afraid. How many know Isaiah 54 says, Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. How many know if you fear, you attract oppression? Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. And, and Saul is so... He is so afraid of the people, he becomes so paranoid that he attracts evil spirits. 
And when David plays, you know the story, they bring in David, they, this, this guy's, this kid's anointed, you know, he's out there playing in the wilderness, his, his harp or his, his lyre, he's out there playing, and, and for whatever reason, he gets this reputation for being anointed, and he plays in, in the king's uh, palace, and whenever David is playing his harp, the demons leave. And so, you know, he makes a great connection, and it says that Saul loved him. And then he ends up killing Goliath, and you know all that story. The most famous, probably Old Testament story in the Bible is the story of David and Goliath. And, and you know, and it says, that, and it makes another statement, that Saul loved him, and that Jonathan, his son, loved him as he loved himself. And we have, this, you know, we have the beginnings of, of, of another move of God, like, okay, the people are winning, and again, you know, Saul's messed up, but here's King David, and... And, and Saul loves him, and David's helping him, and they, they come back from the great battle, and the women are along the road, and they're singing. You know, walking mean the, the warrior's home. You can imagine, it's a big celebration. And the women are singing, David, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And now Saul's totally freaked out, because now he's not just fearful, but he's jealous. He's jealous and he's suspicious. And now, it's, now this, is the, this is the first time it's, it makes this statement, and an evil spirit from the Lord is upon Saul. And now the guy that chased away his demons, he's actually don't like him either. Now he's got a real problem, because the only time he has any peace is when David's playing, and now he hates the guy who plays the harp. And, and you know, and I, I guess, I guess I'm, just, I'm, I'm just trying to say, that um, it's really important that as God moves in us, we, we can't make it happen, but to have a sense we can stop it. And I think we stop it by not protecting our innocence. I remember, maybe been, I'm really terrible at time, I think it was two or three years ago, I felt like the Lord gave us this word, oh, it was about four years ago, and... and um, I'm sure I wasn't the only one with it, but I felt like the Lord said, protect your innocence. We were in a, uh, making a decision. I don't want to reveal what any of this was, but we were making a decision. It was about promotion, public promotion. And, and, I, and I had a dream, and in the dream, the Lord just said this. He came to me in a dream. I didn't see him. I just heard this voice in a dream, and he said, protect your innocence. And then he said, I'll promote you when you're ready. And I was like, ah, you know... So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about just protecting our innocence and, and, and being careful, watching over our heart. Um, it, you know, another, another really interesting, so David becomes king, and we know what happens with David. David uh, ends up in this place where you know, he's a man after God's heart, and he's done all these amazing things, and he's built the tabernacle, and he's totally, um, I think Bill shared some of it t- t- uh, this morning, He's built a tabernacle, and they're worshiping 24 hours a day. And this is just amazing revival, you know. This is the greatest revival in the history of Israel. After they got a bad king, and they had a bad judge before him, Eli, and, you know, and Samuel's sons who were supposed to reign, they were bad, they were, they were bad people too. And so, um, you, know, you know, they have a series of things not going well, and then David finally comes along, and he serves the Lord with all of his heart. He doesn't turn to the right or to the left. Uh, and then he starts to get arrogant. 
And he starts with, it says, in the spring when kings go out to war, David stays home. And, it, you know, Bill has uh, made this statement so many times. The safest place to be is wherever God's called you to be. How many of you know it's safer on the battlefield than it is at home if you're supposed to be on the battlefield? Safer on the mission field than it is in, at home if you're supposed to be on the mission field. Because the cloud's there. You want to move with the cloud, right? Not with the crowd, with the cloud. And so, you know, and, and he ends up in a, in a bed with Bathsheba and kills her husband, Uriah, and um, has this terrible, just really, really bad fall. And, and amazing, not amazing in a good way, the stunning thing is, is that David still has this idea that he's a righteous guy. Like he's totally deceived. And so Nathan the prophet comes to him, who's David's, I understand, is David's cousin. He grows up with David. And he comes to David and he tells David this story. He says there was a rich man and, and a poor man, and they lived next door to each other. And the rich man had all these sheep, and he had all this money, and he was just lived in a palace. And there was a poor man next door. And he just had one little lamb that was a pet. And the rich man had this guest coming, special guest coming from far away. So instead of taking one of his sheep from his huge flock, he takes the man's pet. And he slaughters the man's pet for dinner for his guests. And David goes, that man should die. And Nathan says, dude, that's you. That is you. You have all these women, all these wives, all this fame. And Uriah has one little lamb. You don't... You go take his wife. And you have all these wives already. And here's the amazing thing. When David says that man should die, he has no idea it's him. You know why? Because he's moved from confidence to arrogance. And he's, rem- and he's remembered himself as he was, not as he currently is. And then we know he writes the great psalm, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. That came out of that, that encounter. And, 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 and I don't want to demonize David because... The good thing about David is he does repent and he comes back and he's an amazing, you know, he, he, he ends pretty well. But my point is, is that what, what stops moves to God? And you know, by the way, God does, did forgive David, but it cost him terribly. From then on, you look at David's life after you, after the death of Uriah and the, and, and the, Adultery with Bathsheba. And life in David's life is never the same after that. I'm not saying it's never going to be the same in your life, you know, if you, you fall and repent. But, you know, we're living in a new covenant. Thank Jesus for that. But, but I'm saying it did cost him. It wasn't like, okay, I, I forgave you. Everything's well. From that day on, trouble entered into his life. Solomon, when Solomon goes after foreign wives, it says this. I was just reading it just a few minutes ago. It says, God raised up enemies against Solomon. So Solomon had peace all these years, and then God began to raise up enemies against Solomon because he went after foreign wives. It does cost you to, to when you walk away from God. And so, you know, here it is. It's like, you know, I, I have this sense like, 
We're in the midst of something that is so much bigger than a person. No, who, who do you know that, that in the history of the world that's ever seen this kind of revival spreading? And, and, and the cool thing is, it's not dying, it's multiplying. I, was, I got born again in the Jesus movement. And it was so, it felt so exciting and I didn't know anything about God or, you know, and hippies and people you would never think would ever get saved were coming to church. I mean, you know, it was amazing. And yet I also was there to watch the movement die, to watch it go away, slowly dissipate and go away. And, and, I, and I remember, you know, everyone singing, you know, the way we were. I remember the testimonies for years, 10, 15 years, people getting up and say, man, in the Jesus movement, in the charismatic movement. And it was, it was kind of the cool thing to look back and say, I was from something. A lot of our older folks know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, we, we, we grieved over something that happened. And I'm like, we're in the midst of something that's so like, I just, I can't even believe I'm alive today. I, I can't, I don't, I don't even know why, why, how I got here. I don't know how you got here. The stories, our, the stories of our students, the stories of our leaders. You know, Paul was a prison governor. You know, uh, I mean, Danny was a social worker. I mean, this is like, I don't know what we're doing here. I was a mechanic. My vision for my life, from the time I was, I can remember, like Eric said, when I was 13, I remember asking for wisdom. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> when I was 13, I was trying to stay alive from a crazy stepfather. And I was thinking that someday I'm going to have the biggest repair shop in the world. That was my goal in life. Like, I'm going to be like my grandfather, the only normal person in my life, the only person who ever loved me. Like, that was my goal in life. And I worked in service stations, nine of them, and I owned repair shops, and I'm like, I don't know how I got here. Like, I shouldn't be here talking to you. I'm not afraid of you. Unless I think about it. I think about how unqualified I am. But then I look around, I don't see anybody qualified. So it kind of makes me feel good. <laughs> Bill and I have this vision, you know, that we're going to start a university. The only one problem, neither one of us have an education. <laughs> It'd be just like us to have a university. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Where'd you guys graduate from? Weaverville? So, I'm sorry, there, there's no timer up there. I can't have, I don't have any idea how long I've gone. I might supposed to be over by now. I'm lost track of time. So, so I, 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 I'm really concerned because I, because I've been a part of moves of God that died. And, and I'm not really sure why. And I've been, a, and I've seen, and I've, am I doing something wrong? Let me, I'm so sorry. That's so distracting, especially when you're trying to make a point. I'll try it one more time, then I'll, I'll, I'll use a hand mic, okay? Um, so, and I've, and I've, I've watched other people 
you know, I've, I've, I've made friends with people who, who've, who've hosted a move of God that eventually, you know, I don't say went away, but it's not the same. And so I'm like, you know, if, if, if two plus two and God equaled four, I wouldn't be nervous. Because you go like, this, we did this and this, and that's how we got that. But I'm not sure what we did. Okay, I'll use a, a hand. Thank you. I, uh, one time I probably shouldn't tell a story when I'm streaming. One time I tucked the mic cord into my underwear. And somebody was saying, would you pray for me? And I was, I was taking the mic off while I was praying for him. And I didn't realize that it got stuck because I was focusing on them. So, I, I'm, so I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, what's going on? And I'm, it's a really serious moment. And the cord's stuck. But you know how you're, you're multitasking, but you're only actually thinking about one thing? So I'm like, the cord's stuck, but I'm not even thinking about the cord. What could this cord be stuck on? And I got my shirt tucked in, so I pull the cord like that, and my underwear come out. You know how you just try to pretend like that didn't happen? So they looked at me, and I'm, I, just, I just kept talking as if that didn't happen. Unraveled them, stuck them back in, everything's good. We're pretty polished here. That's probably, you know, that spirit of excellence just gets on you, just, just comes out everywhere, you know what I mean? So I, I, I just, I want to talk a little bit about just, just really simple, basic stuff. Because sometimes I think we lose, we, you know, we, we get involved. Like I taught at the leaders' events about angels. Like I don't even know anything about angels. I've had one angel visitation. But the message was really good. <laughs> I just told the angel visitation story over and over and over. I thought it was multiple ones. <laughs> no, I'm joking about that. Um, I, I, I just want to share just some really simple things. You know, um, Paul, Paul uh, wrote down something this morning. He said, when movements, move, he said, when movements stop moving, cultures become cults. And I, I thought, yeah, part of that is when movements stop moving in forgiveness and humility, cultures become cults. And I was thinking about just really simple stuff, like in Matthew 5, Jesus is talking to the guys, and, and he, he kind of begins this way, and I'm not going to read all of this, but just so you get the tone. You've heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder, but I say to you, whoever, commit, uh, whoever commits murder shall be liable, I'm sorry, and, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fury of hell. And then he makes this statement, which is, is in, in the context, is really powerful. He says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your offering there at the altar and go be reconciled with your brother. And then you can come back and give your, your offering. Like These are really simple things that I remember learning this in the Jesus movement. I remember being in a home group and having our leader teach us about forgiveness. And I specifically remember him reading this verse. And yet, how many times does, does something simple like that get violated? How many know we come here and we worship God? And I wonder how many times in my life that the Lord's like, um, you know what, Johnny's got a problem with you. Okay, that's Johnny's issue. The Lord's like, no, like, why don't you leave your offering here and go reconcile with Johnny? And how many know worship is really important? But it's just songs if you have unforgiveness in your heart. <laughs> how, do you make, how do you make awesome worship just a song? Just carry unforgiveness in your heart. Just carry jealousy with you wherever you go. Just stay offended. And I don't care how radical you worship. God goes, that's just a song. That's just a song. I don't even receive that. I, I was Facebooking just something like this, you know, and, and I got these comments about, I, I Facebooked uh, a piece of that right there. And I was just saying on Facebook, you know, this, it's really important that we forgive, not carry offense, set up. And, and people started writing in. I mean, lots of people wrote great stuff, by the way. And one guy wrote, you know, you always talk about the negative things, but most of your comments are good. And that's true. But sometimes I think you remember the ones that people, like... I must have got probably seven or eight people who said, when I received Jesus Christ, I was forgiven. I no longer have to. That's Old Testament. What Jesus taught before the cross is Old Testament. <laughs> and he said, I've been forgiven. And in fact, there were several of them. There was that, that theme. In fact, they were synergizing with each other. And I said, they said everything Jesus taught before the cross was Old Testament. And therefore, that verse that we have to forgive, in fact, actually, uh, actually, I'm sorry, the verse I actually quoted on Facebook was Matthew 18, where Jesus is, tells the story. And in fact, Peter, it begins with Peter saying, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times, remember this? And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And then he tells the story about a king. He's, and it begins with this, the kingdom of God is like, this is the scary part. It, end, it starts with the kingdom of God and it ends with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he brings one servant in who owes him like a million bucks. And the servant says, I, you know, please be patient with me. I, you know, I will pay you back, but I don't have the money now. And the king, remember this, and the king forgives him. And then the guy who gets forgiven has a friend that owes him like 10 grand. And he says to his friend, you know, pay up, I need the money. And his friend goes, be patient with me. I will pay you, but I don't have it now. And the, and the guy goes, no way, you're going to prison. And he sends him to debtor's prison. And the rumor seeps back to the king. And the king hears about it and finds out that the guy he forgave a million dollars wouldn't forgive his friend 10,000. Uh, the numbers are irrelevant, of course. And so the king calls him in and says, listen, did I not forgive you all this money when you didn't? When you, you asked me, you, you, you humbled yourself, you asked me to forgive you? 
then why didn't you not forgive your friend? And he, the king turns to the prison guards and says, take him away and let the tormentors torment him until he pays the last cent. Now that's, that's verse 34. The last verse says, and so shall my heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So I put that verse in there, and I said, I think forgiveness is kind of important. They said, Jesus taught that before the cross. After the cross, Jesus forgave us, and it doesn't matter what we do. We're forgiven. That's, first of all, that's a different gospel. And I just wrote this back to them. The question isn't, how little can I do and get to heaven? Do I have to forgive others to go to heaven? No, you get to. It's a privilege. If I refuse to forgive other people after I've been forgiven, am I going to go to hell? I don't know how God deals with people who disobey Him. So that's the question. Is So you have to take that question up with Him. But you won't bring heaven into your relationships on earth, that's for sure. How many know the goal isn't like, how much can I get away with and not go to hell? Like, are you saying that if I don't forgive my brother, I'm going to go to hell? No, I'm just saying you, you won't bring heaven. And you won't live in heaven. And you won't live in peace here on the planet. Am I going to go to hell? I don't know. That's between you and God. But I wouldn't want to mess with that. You know, 1 John 1.9 says this. And by the way, 1 John 1.9 was written after the resurrection. Just thought I'd say that. If we confess our sins, can we say if? Yes. If we conf confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. And I love this part. This is the most important part for us. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many know that's the reason why we sin? In other words, he doesn't just forgive us. He goes, oh, you got this root thing in you that causes you to do that. I'm going to take that out of you. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Colossians 3. This would be after the cross. Verse 12. And by the way, they said, Paul never taught on forgiveness. I wrote back, read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible, please. Please read the Bible. You're killing me. Paul writes this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Oh, does it say that? Because they said it did it. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Okay, how about Ephesians? Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Huh. That's a pretty good one. Th those are all after the cross. And there's, there's a bunch of them. I like, I like this one. How about this one? Sorry, am I offending you? Because you're not supposed to carry it out of here. First Peter 3 says this, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she's a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the, of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't know if you got that, guys. But this is a good principle for the ladies, too. If you don't treat your wife well, God says, I'm not going to hear your prayers. Yeah. 
oh, you know what? I got saved by grace. Jesus did everything. Really? He ain't listening to you if you don't treat your wife well. Well, that was before the cross. No, I'm sorry. That's in Peter. That's after the cross. You, you, you know what I'm concerned about? We got... If, I, if, if someone said, how did, you, how did this happen? Not, not Bethel. If it's just Bethel, it's not very big. How did this happen? I'm not talking about you all. I'm talking about all y'all. That's happening all over the world. And I mean, it's happening in all different kinds of movements. It's happening in denominations, in the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists. I mean, everybody. It's not, if it was just here, I'd be like, oh, maybe we could kind of figure out. We got this little formula, you know, the charismatics got, you know, we got, we got, this, we got God in this box. But how many know God got out of our, that box? He started touching politicians don't even know God. And business people and crazy stuff happening. We're going places, you know, Bill and I have been places recently. It's like, we're like, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> hey, that ain't, hey that, that ain't even in the Bible. I mean, God, he ain't inside the Ark of the Covenant anymore. He got out of that box. <laughs> he ripped the curtain. He's like, oh, I've been out in this box so long, I'm out of here. That's not probably a good theological theology. <laughs> Just a picture. It's a word picture. But, but my concern is, is that if there was anything that I would say that, that, has, that has fueled this movement, it's been grace. It's been grace. So you know what can kill it? Overemphasizing grace. To the place where you have no per personal responsibility. So because we got here by grace, we're like, oh, we got here by grace. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, no, it's all about us. Me and you. And people are like, you know, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I, I'm trying to say I'm really concerned that the simple things we learned when we were new believers, they were losing those principles and people are teaching stuff that's pure garbage. Thank you. I was looking for a word besides the old, my old words. I'm sure. I'm being retrained, man. So I just don't have new words. I know what the old ones weren't. I had a moment about a month ago, and I, I was teaching, and it was being streamed, and I said, and that's just pure... And I couldn't think of another word besides the words I use, which I'm trying to not use anymore. So I, so I said nothing. And this lady wrote me, and she said, you were thinking of a dirty word, and I'm offended. say it because she's right I couldn't think of a good one I wasn't thinking of a dirty word I was thinking of a word that I don't think is dirty but people do another story for another time Proverbs 4.23 has been one of our favorite verses watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues or the springs of life I thought of five reasons why people live in unforgiveness. There's probably a hundred. These are just some I thought of the other day. They're unwilling to be wrong because being wrong means they'll be punished. Some of us grow up, grew up in homes where admitting you're wrong comes with great penalty. And, and unforgiveness requires you, I mean forgiveness requires you to say I was wrong. 
Number two, they want justice. Their arrogance has blinded them to them, them their arrogance has blinded them to the fact that they have failed God and others. You know, when I want justice, I'm like, you deserve I'm like, be careful. Be careful because that's what happened to the guy who got forgiven a million bucks. He forgot how much he'd been forgiven. And so I want justice. That person's wrong. I need them to pay. God goes, okay, remember that. Because you, by your standard of measure, shall be measured to you. By your words, Jesus said, you'll be justified, or by your words, you'll be condemned. You know, when you get to heaven, I don't know if he's, Jesus is going to go, okay, you didn't keep these words. I think he's going to go, okay, let's play the tape of your words. You said, this deserves to be punished. Oh, and look, you did it here. You did what you said was wrong. Um, another reason is because they need a reason to be justified for their actions. For example, they're having an extramarital affair and they feel like their spouse violated them so that they have an excuse for their behavior. So they're like, okay, I need to not forgive her because it gives me, that's, that's why I did this. Listen, I'm doing pornography because you did this. And I, I don't want to forgive you because that takes away the reason why I allow myself to do this. Because you do that. I mean, when you get to heaven and, and Jesus goes, now, why did you do that? And you go, well, she did this. He did that. The Lord's not going to go, oh, that explains it. I'm glad you clarified that for us. Another reason is because they think they have to trust the person who violated them. And this is pretty huge, and this is real, a real tool in counseling. You, you know, you are required to forgive people. It, you know, it is, it is a choice, but it's not an option. You, you, you can choose to not forgive, but the option's pretty bad. Oh, Jesus died for me, he forgave me. Yeah, yeah, okay, we already went through that. But sometimes people think, if I forgive them, then that means I trust them. I always like to use extreme examples just so that you can, you can see where, where I'm going. Jesus did that oftentimes. Let, you know, if, you, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's like, oh, oh, wow, this is a big deal. So, you know, can you imagine going to, you send your son to a counseling appointment who's got a problem with lust and he comes back with one eye gouged out and his hand gone. His father's like, oh, you went to a Christian counselor. People are like, I take everything Jesus said literally. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but you know, if a woman gets raped in a dark alley, how many of you know that she needs to forgive the, the person who violated her? But she, she, she's probably very unwise to ever trust him again. Or ever trust him, period. Probably never did trust him. How many know that forgiveness and trust, they're not the same thing? And this little nugget, you know, that forgiveness doesn't mean the pain goes away. Forgiveness is the first step to the pain going away. But because I'm still in pain doesn't mean I didn't forgive you. If you run over my legs on purpose and break both my legs and I forgive you, how many know that doesn't mean my legs don't hurt? 
It means I don't require you to pay before God. I don't require you to be punished for it. It doesn't, me, doesn't make the pain go away. What, and the reason why this is important is I see people go, I forgive them a hundred times a day. What, what are you doing that for? I still feel the pain. Forgiveness doesn't get rid of the pain. Forgiveness is a choice where you decide that you don't want them punished. The process of walking out of pain is often... Let me, let me just make this clear. Forgiveness is the, begin, the first step in walking out of pain. You're not going to get out of pain with bitterness in your heart. But because you forgave doesn't mean that the pain's gone. I think that's really good for all of us. Because I think there's a lot of people walking around thinking, man, I just don't know how to forgive this person. I've forgiven him, I've forgiven him, I've written letters, I still have this pain in my heart. It's like, yeah, they ran over you. They changed your life forever. Yeah, they divorced you. Yes, they beat you. Yes, yes, you live with some of the scars. Now, how many of you know we have a God who can do anything? He can fix anything. I'm not saying you're stuck there. I'm not saying, well, you're going to live like this forever. I'm simply saying, because you're in that place doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is a, cho is a choice. It's, it's an act of my will. Oh, one more. Um, some people are convinced that their feelings are their convictions. They don't realize that their convictions dictate their feelings, not vice versa. I mean, you know, my feelings don't tell me what to do. I tell my feelings what to do. I don't know how many of you came in here tonight ready to worship, you know, like, ah, just feeling like loving God. God bless you. I hope you all did. But you know what happens when you, when you choose to worship when you don't feel like it? Then it's called a sacrifice of worship. How many of you, you only got up for your children when you felt like it when they were little? I, I don't feel love for you right now. think I'm staying in bed. It sounds funny, but sometimes we live life like that. Like, I'm not feeling... Like I forgave them. But did you, did you not? Forgiveness means you're not sending them a bill every month. Metaphorically speaking, you stop sending bills. I don't feel like I forgive them. Well, tell your feelings how to think. Tell your feeler how to feel. Tell your soul. Your soul says, we haven't forgiven. Yes, we have. Well, I don't feel like we have. <laughs> you're not in charge. I'm led by the Spirit. Get in line. Here's some ways to make, here's some um, ways you'll never solve conflict these ways. <laughs> here's, here's some ways to make sure that you never solve a conflict. Number one, when the goal of the conversation is to prove you're right. So I go, I go, okay, I've been offended, you know, in, uh, in Matthew, um, whatever we read, five. In Matthew five, Jesus said, if you know someone has an offense, against you. Like, you're not offended, they are. Go to them. In Matthew 18, he says, when you are offended with someone else. So how many of you have responsibility both ways? It's not my fault he's mad at me. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. You know, things that aren't your fault are still your responsibility. What do I do if he won't forgive me? You go try again. What if I tried twice? Try three times. What do I do if I've tried three times? Then treat him like an unbeliever. 
how, what do I do? How do I treat them like an unbeliever? You forgive them when they don't deserve it. Did you get that? Jesus said, what, if two of you on earth agree to anything, God will do it for them. What is the subject? The subject is forgiveness. So he says, listen, you go, if, you, if, somebody, if somebody sins against you, you go to them. If that doesn't work, you take somebody with you. Hopefully not your attorney. That never works. I've got someone who's on my side who wants to agree with me. Let's talk. Oh, that isn't going to work. You need to bring someone that you both value. And they talk, and that doesn't work. And then, when he, said, then he says, well, go to the church. I mean, that probably isn't going to work in a church this size. But the point is, is that they're accountable to a family. And that doesn't work. And then he goes, okay, if none of that works, then treat them like an unbeliever. Treat them like a Gentile. How do I treat Gentiles? I forgive the Gentiles when they don't deserve it. Now, how do I know that's what Jesus meant? Because the next verse says, Peter says, well, how many times do I have to forgive people who've offended me? Which is very funny, because it's Peter. The most offensive guy in the Bible wants to know how many times he has to forgive other people. I bet Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you the story about this king. By the way, you're the guy who owed a million bucks? Peter. That man was named Peter. So, so I go to solve a conflict. How, I just want to give you a few tools. One, one thing you have to do is, you, you, the goal of the conversation is not to prove you're right. The goal of the conversation is to reconcile your relationship. You can be dead right. You can kill your relationships. Instead of, if, if you put justice over relationship, and you like, hey, I'm not going to be right. Listen, I'm not going to be reconciled to you till you agree that you're wrong and I'm right. Oh, that's good. That is the goal of this conversation, to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. How many know that's going to be pretty hard to reconcile that? Number two, you're determined that you know the other person's motive. Oh, that always works. And I know why you did this. No, no, you don't even know your own heart. You know, you, in a, in a, what are we awake, 16 hours a day? How many of you have ever stopped and just thought about why you're doing what you're doing right now? Well, like when you go to work, you go, okay, why am I going to work? Am I going to work for all the right reasons this morning? Because if I'm not, I'm not going. Is my heart right? You ladies, you're making dinner. You're like, am I making dinner right now because I love my family or is there another motive? Huh. Am I studying my Bible? I'm reading my, I read my Bible every day. I don't, I didn't, I read it every day. I, I, I can tell you, I can count on two hands the times I thought about why I'm doing it. Okay, I'm reading my Bible because I really love God. I know I really love God, but I'm not sure if that's why I read the Bible. Well, why do you? I'm not sure. I don't ask myself. I just do it. How, how many of you know your own heart? Paul said, I'm the Apostle Paul. He said, 
I'm not aware that there's anything that, that, I, that I'm doing anything wrong. I'm not aware that I am. But he said, but I don't judge myself. Because a day is coming when the Lord will shine his light in my heart. And he'll test the motives of my heart. And then he'll award me, reward me accordingly. For people who don't think what happens after the cross, like you can affect it, do you know that on judgment day, that God's going to put fire on all your works? And you're only going to get rewarded for the ones that don't burn up? Well, after the cross, it's all about Jesus. If it is all about Jesus, you're going to be naked in heaven. You're not going to have anything. You'll be saved, but you won't have anything. No reward. I'm getting me a big old reward. I hope. <laughs> but I don't know my motive, but I hope I... <laughs> Listen, when you're trying to reconcile with somebody, you don't know their motive. Well, I feel like Jesus showed me. If you're angry, he didn't. <laughs> Your discernment on anger is suspicion. And typically anointed by the devil. The gift of discernment when you're bitter and angry with somebody, that gift is anointed by the wrong spirit. No, I'm not kidding. And you will think you know things about people that you don't know. It's because the accuser of the brethren has taken over control of the ship. So just forget, well, well I've, I've known them for 20 years. I don't care if you've known them for 50 years. You don't know their heart. And the truth is, you don't even know yours. Unless the Holy Spirit convicts you. I love this. Bill taught us this years ago. He said, I live with a green light unless I get a red. I love that. As long as I spend time with Jesus every day, I don't have to worry about what I'm not supposed to do because he said go. He didn't say stop. So I can have confidence that what I'm doing is God as long as I give him time to convict me, right? As long as I spend time with God every day, I can go. Am I supposed to get that job? I feel peace about it. Well, how do I know if I'm supposed to do that? Well, if you're not supposed to do it, he'll tell you to stop. You have a yes unless you get a no. Number four, you're angry and you want to punish them, and then you wonder why they don't want to tell you the truth. If honesty is costly, it'll be hard to be totally forthright. I was in a counseling session with someone in the last eight months. It was in, it was in another place. It wasn't Bethel at all. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a husband and wife situation, and the wife wasn't being totally honest. She wasn't lying, she just wasn't giving all the info. And he's like, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. And then they told me their history. I'm like, telling this guy the truth is like talking to the KGB in the days of communism. Like, it is going to be so costly to tell all the information. I, who's going to give you all the I want to give you all the information. And I think I'm an honest person. And I said to him, She's not telling you everything because of how much it costs to tell you things. Well, she's still lying. Well, you punish her. Well, that's not as bad as lying. Oh, here we go. Number five. 
You'll never solve a conflict when you bring up the past after you said you forgave them. If they know that you are keeping a file on their failures, then they won't, <laughs> then they won't want to give you any more ammunition to use against them. If you say, I forgive you, how many you know, once you say that, you don't have a right to bring that up ever again. If I'm in a conflict with you, and you bring up past things that you said you forgave, how many know it doesn't make me want to confess to you? If, if, I, if I say I was wrong, and then you use that the next time we argue, well, you were wrong last time, you admitted it. Yeah, but you forgave me. If you keep a file, these are all the times you said you were wrong. Guess what? It doesn't make me want to tell you I'm wrong again. Some of you need to go home and burn those files. <laughs> Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many know when you're in a conflict, one of the, one of the most important things to try and do is first, first de-escalate de anger? I remember when we, had, we would have angry customers come in to our business and they would, you know, like, I bought this part here and I'll tell you what, you're going to take this part back. I, I go, there's no reason for you to yell. Your business is really important to me, much more important than the part you're bringing back. So I don't know what we're going to do, but I can tell you when we leave, when you leave here, my goal is for you to be satisfied. So you don't need to yell at me. Well. You don't need to yell at me. It's not going to be helpful. Well, what am I doing? I'm like, I, I don't need you to dishonor me. I don't need you to manipulate me. I don't need you to threaten me. I have a noble heart and I want to do the right thing. So I want to reassure you that whatever it is that you want, if it's what God wants, and I wouldn't say that to a customer, but if it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do it. You don't have to, you don't, and I'm generous. So even if it costs me, if it, it, I, I'm willing to sacrifice for our relationship. Even as a customer, I'm willing to sacrifice to make sure that you're going to be a customer and not just buy a part from me. So you don't need to yell at me. Oh, okay. You can't believe how many letters I would get. Or a year later, someone would come to me and go, you know why I do all my business here? Because when I got angry and I threw those brake shoes at you, you ducked and you didn't yell back. I wanted to. <laughs> and what we're, uh, we won't do all this. I, I just want to do, I want to do this one more part. The secret witness program drives me crazy. The secret witness program is where someone comes to you or you come to somebody and you go, I got this against you and five other people agree with me. Go, oh yeah, what are their names? Can't tell you can't tell you. Really? You can't tell me? You know what you were supposed to do when those people came to you? You're supposed to send them to me. That's what you're supposed to do. But I, I hate the secret witness program. And Proverbs says this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the man's innermost parts. The words of a gossip. How many of you know Proverbs says this, Proverbs 18, 17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. 
the New Living Translation says, any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. And the New King James Version says, the first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Have you ever had, have you ever picked up someone's offense because you listened to one side of the story? Proverbs says you're foolish if you do that. I remember this, I was, I was doing some marriage counseling and actually I just met the wife. So the wife comes and talks to me and I, and I grew up in a really violent home and my stepfather, my first stepfather was very, very violent and beat my mother. And I have no, I have no tolerance for a man touching a woman for any reason whatsoever. I have no tolerance for it because I watched it happen when I was growing up. So I feel like I'm a protector of women, especially in that case. So this woman sits down, she's in my office, this is many years ago, and she's telling me about her husband. And her husband grabbed her, that her husband pushed her up against the wall, and her husband said these things to her, and I'm, I'm like, I can't wait. Because he's already got an appointment with me. He's, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't come in yet. He's next. He's, he's going to be there tomorrow with her. And she's telling me all this stuff, and my anger's growing. And I'm like, when I get this guy in here, I, I, or, you know, have you ever had an argument with somebody in your mind? You're playing both sides. I mean, I pictured my first stepfather. Now I'm, I'm getting this guy. I want it, man. All the years. So this guy walks in, and I had her come. He walks in, and you know, and I said, you know, um, you know, he, he was really nervous. I had never met him before. Met her. She was, you know, I knew her. And so, you know, she, you know, he sits down and so, I, so I, I already have an opinion. So I said, you know, yesterday I sat with your wife and she said, you did this and this and this and you grabbed her and you slammed her up against the door and you said these things to her. And he looks at me and he, I said, did you do that? He said, yeah. I said, man, what, who do you think you are? And I, I got about 15 minutes into my rant. And he goes, Pastor Chris, can I, can I just say something? I'm like, yeah, I guess I should have let you say something. I'm thinking, I don't know what this guy could say that would change my opinion. He goes, did he, she tell you that she throws knives at me? Did she tell you that the other day I got out of bed and she was waiting at the door and she hit me with a frying pan and knocked me out? Did she tell you that when I grabbed her and slammed her against the wall, it's because she had a butcher knife in her hand? This is a true story. I, I looked at her. I said, you didn't mention any of that. Is any of that true? And I'm thinking, she's going to say, that's a lie. I said, is any of that true? She said, yeah. She said, oh, I'm afraid of him. What do you want me to do? <laughs> You're afraid of him. Lady, you are crazy. You mean he just grabbed you when you had a butcher knife and put you up against the wall? Yeah, he hurt me. Hurt you? <laughs> this is a real story. I don't know if I ever told you. This is a true story. I walked out of that counseling session. I, I repented before God. God, I will never ever give counsel until I hear both sides of the story. <laughs> that thing sticks in my mind. When someone's telling me a story, I can tell you that was, it was probably 14 years ago. That thing sticks in my mind. You don't know the other. You don't know the rest of the story. <laughs> no. 
secret witness program. I've got three more and I'm done. Bitterness, bitterness, jealousy, and offense are like magnetic forces that attract like attitudes into their vortex. When you're offended with someone, everyone else who's offended with them will somehow supernaturally find you. <laughs> Telling you the truth. Supernatural vortex. It sucks every offended person into it. And you know what's really odd? In even a church this size, they will find each other within a month. It's supernatural. I know because I've been some of the people who are offended. You'd be surprised how quickly I attract people. No, anyway. <laughs> but I'm not offended anymore, so I'm awesome. Offense is like a virus that spreads through the air. It's caught through speech, body language, and attitude. I didn't say anything bad about you. No, but when they did, you were silent. How many of you know, when someone is talking bad about somebody else and you're silent, they think your silence means you agree with them. That's a really good time to say, hey, 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 if you've got a problem with somebody, you need to go talk to them. Well, I'm afraid to talk to them. I'll go with you. And by the way, I'm a mandatory reporter. So if you're going to come and talk to me about somebody, I'll, I'll, I want you and I to go sit down with them. Because I don't want you to spread that virus through all of our people. How many know a brother offended, Proverbs says, is harder to win than a ruined city. Let offense grow in a body. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, if this move ever dies, it'll be because of simple things that are in our foundation. It'll be because what Bill preached this morning. It'll be, we'll stop going after the presence. We'll stay offended with people. We won't do the simple things we learned in kindergarten. And it's amazing how bitter leaders can be with each other. Paul told me this this morning, he looked over at my notes, and it's so true. We judge, other, we judge others by their behavior. We judge ourselves by our intent. We judge other people by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our intent. Well, I didn't mean to do that. One, one more tool I want to give you. We have a conflict with somebody. I learned this from Danny. This really, this really helps. Listen to the heart, not their words. There's very few people when they're upset that will actually say what they're actually they're actually articulate when they're upset. Very few people when they're upset are actually saying what they really mean. Very few. First of all, very few people are articulate. No, I'm talking about. There's very few people that know, okay, I feel this, let me put the exact right words to it. That's what I mean by articulate. I mean, they could preach a great sermon, but I mean, I feel this, and I'm trying to get into words these feelings I have. So, when somebody has an offense with you, or they have a problem with you, and they go, first thing, de-escalate the anger, and start asking questions. Okay, what is it you're trying to say? Don't go, I never do that. Because how many know, now, we have, now we've gone from a dialogue to a discussion. In a discussion, the goal is to be right. In a dialogue, the goal is to heal your heart. So the, the goal is to reconcile. Are you with me? 
So, uh, so the fact that you didn't get it right, like you didn't say it exactly right, that doesn't matter. The point is you're hurting. The point is I hurt you. Did I mean to hurt you? Maybe I did. Maybe I'm angry and I meant to hurt you. Most of the time, I didn't mean to hurt you. And people, how many of you know that there, there are people who are super sensitive? I, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. This happens more than I'd like to admit. People will write me a letter and say, I walked right by you and said, hi, you didn't say hi to me. I don't know what I did to you. So when did you say that? Four months ago. I walked right by you. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. No, you looked right at me. Dude, I looked right at you. I was probably like in another zone. I don't mean spiritually. I was probably thinking about, was well, it at church? Like, you know, I got a hundred responsibilities here. You know, you walk by me at church, I may be thinking about whatever. No, no, you looked right at me and I said hi twice. Okay, okay, what's the real problem here? Because it isn't going to help to say, I didn't say that. I didn't see you. What's the real issue? I really just don't feel like you like me. Okay. I do. I like you. If you really like me, what do you like about me? Nothing I can think of right now. You know, I see how you got here. I can't think of one thing I like about you, actually. No, sincerely, the goal is to listen to the heart. So when somebody comes in upset with you, and they're like, you did this, this, and this, listen, leave the walls down and say, okay, listen, my goal in this conversation is for us to reconcile. This, whatever is wrong, it's more important that we have a relationship than whatever it's going to take to make this right with you. Okay, so can, you, can we agree that when you walk out of here, my goal is that you and I, we may not agree, but we're going to get along. Because my relationship with you is really important. So, so can we start over? Tell me what's bothering you. Well, wait, wait, just tell me what's bothering you. And they may tell me something that is nothing I ever did. But they do have a problem with me. They just didn't get the words right. It's not important that I go, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. Okay, I'm justified. They walk away like, you're a better arguer, but I'm still hurting. And so it really helps, and this is what a great, I think a great counselor does. I've watched Danny do it lots of times. Sit with people and, and say, you know, you're sitting with two people and they're mad at each other. And, and she goes, da 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 And you go, okay, okay, wait a second. Before you speak, can you tell him what it is that you just said? Because I didn't get that either. And we help to get people to understand what they're saying from the heart, not from the head. Are you with me? Because people forgive from the heart, not from the head. And they need to know that you forgave them from the heart. And, and let me add this last piece. When you've had a conflict with somebody, after you've reconciled, that's when you need to stay close. Like, stay close. Because you know what's going to happen? They're going to walk out of the room and the devil's going to go, hey, he didn't really forgive you. He didn't really care. You know what he said? Uh, so I think it's really important that after you have a conflict... That you make sure. Maybe you send a, a, you know, an email or, or text or, or you know, somehow you, you say a couple of days later, thinking about you, thank you so much for having the courage to come and talk to me. Gosh, I feel so much better about our relationship. And you're just saying, this matters to me. And, and, and let me finish with this. 
Relationships in the body, no, relationships in general, they matter to Jesus. They matter so much that he said, I love worship. I'm looking for worshipers. But if you come in here to worship and you don't got this right, go fix that first. That's how important relationships are. And then remember, Jesus said, if you go to him and it doesn't fix it, you're not off the hook. You still have to go back again. You still have to go back again. You still have to try another way. And Jesus isn't saying, like, you know, Jesus is saying this. Relationships are really important. You can't take it casual that somebody has an offense with you or that you're offended with somebody. He's saying, be serious about it. I tried, it didn't work. Jesus is like, you didn't try hard enough yet. Am I going to go to hell? It has nothing to do with hell. It has to do with you having a great relationship with heaven. You having a great relationship with the body. Are you with me? Would you stand please? How many of you hate conflict? You hate conflict. <laughs> if I said how many of you like conflict, that seems like the wrong question. <laughs> we love conflict. No, I'm saying there are people who hate conflict. Like the idea that I'm going to have a con I'm, someone's going to be in my space with a problem makes me physically ill makes me nervous, scares me, you know. If you're, if you're kind of wired like that, you know, oftentimes you don't, you don't talk to someone about your problem until your anger overcomes your fear. And then guess what? Typically, you're not trying to reconcile. And so it's, it's going to be not, natu not as natural for you if you're wired like that. And I understand you're wired like that. It's going to be more, it's going to be not natural for you way down here when you're not angry to go, hey, I have a struggle. I, I, we have a disagreement. Can we work through it? It's going to be more natural, not natural. It's going to be probably more your pattern to wait till your anger gets to be about an eight because your fear is a six. Now I'm going to talk to you. But then it validates. You know, when I, talk, when I, when I, uh, when I do confrontation, it never works. No, it never works because you wait till you're so angry that all you want to do is cut off the relationship. And so, you know, for those of us that, that struggle with conflict, like, I don't want conflict. It makes me sick. It's going to be a little harder to follow Jesus' words. Go to that person. You know someone has a problem with you, go to them. That's a little tougher for people that are wired like conflict. Really, really, I really struggle with it. But it's still important, isn't it? It doesn't matter what your personality type is. Jesus didn't say, you know, if you're all right with conflict, go to him. If you're not, you know, just pray about it. <laughs> How many of you know there are things that are hard for every type of personality? And so, just put your hand on your heart right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing in this great move of God. And the prophets spoke of this move. That they said that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. That there would be, that the Spirit would move all over the world. That there would be a mighty revelation of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We used to sing that song. And, and Lord, we sang that song so long before we saw it. And now we're in the midst of it. And we want to protect it. We want to protect it. 
We want to protect your presence. We want to protect our brothers and sisters. We want to have healthy relationships that you go, I love coming there. These people have no offenses. They don't carry bitterness. They're not jealous. Lord, I, I pray that we would have clean relationships. And wherever we don't, that you would give us skills and tools and also conviction about making those things right so that this reformation that we're in isn't something they write about a hundred years from now. It's something they experience. Lord, may this revival, this renewal, this reformation, this move of God, may it never end until Jesus returns. May we remove the stones, the rocks of offense, the stones of stumbling. May we make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth in our life. And may we learn what it's like to live with the with clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that anybody in this room that, that, that has offenses or an offense or unforgiveness or any of those things, that Holy Spirit, that you begin to lead them out of that. Maybe they've lived in that life for so long. It's become a culture, a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. It's the, they don't even know what it's like to, to live without being offended or, or, or hurt or, or whatever. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them. Lord, I, I, know, how much you, I know how much you love them. I know how, how you're not trying to make them feel bad. But you, you want to show them that there's a, there's a better way. There's a way to have more sense of the presence of God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them this week to lead them to a good place. And Lord, I, I bless your people, and I thank you so much for choosing this time in history to pour out your Spirit on so many people. Amen. Amen.